0: love this podcast support this show through the Acast supporter feature it's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment just hit the link in the show description to support now
1: hi i'm john rogers i created the show leverage and road transformers and you're listening to genretainment Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Entertainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks
0: and Julie. Entertainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. For this 104th episode, we are chatting with game, animation, and comic book writer Christy Marks. Christy was one of our first guests on the show back in 2012, and we are thrilled to have her back. Now, she has written for classic animation series like G.I. Joe, Spider-Man, and His Amazing Friends, and Jem and the Holograms. woo Also written for comic books like Birds of Prey, and has written a number of video games and TV shows. And she is also the author of the book Writing for Animation, Comics, and Games.
1: We talk about how she became involved in writing, about her various projects, her thoughts on the upcoming *Jim* live-action film tips for writers, and much more. We also want to mention that we have joined two other excellent shows to create the League of Geeks Network. The network can be found on Blog Talk Radio, where you can find John Entertainment and partner shows, SFP Now and Super Geeked Up. For right now, our episodes are staggered, so our newest episodes can be found at scifipulseradio.com, and a few weeks later, the newest episodes can be found on Blog Talk Radio. It is pretty brand new, and we're still very much under construction. We're excited about the possibilities and hope you are too.
0: Now, before we get started with our entertaining interview with Christy Marks, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend Tishan Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our interview with writer Christy Marks.
1: Yo, Joe! we fight for freedom. Wherever
2: there's trouble,
0: G.I. Joe is there.
2: G.I. Joe. American hero. G.I. Joe is there. Hi, Christy. Welcome back to Genretainment. Thank you very much. It's great to have you back. Now, for those who don't know, you were one of our very first guests on the show way back in late 2012.
1: <laughs> now, <laughs> all, since, the
2: all, all the way back. All the way back
1: then.
2: <laughs> now, since then, you've been writing again in comic books with Amethyst, Sword of Sorcery, and Birds of Prey. And you're also still working on video games with, is it Zynga? Yes. And you came out with a second nonfiction book on writing for video games, right? Yes, indeed. Okay. Okay. So we'll try to cover as much of that as possible. Before we do, let's talk a little bit about your background for any listeners who haven't heard the past episode and uh, aren't familiar quite with your work in animation, video games, and comic books. So how did you
3: get involved in writing? Well, I, I grew up reading comic books. And I grew up with a passionate love for comic books, and this made me want to do comic books more than just about anything else in my life. Through various happenstances, I ended up living in Los Angeles, and I met Roy Thomas, who had been editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, and he decided to move to L.A. So uh, through meeting him, I was able to sell my first comic book story, which was a, a Conan story. And as, as I sold more more into comics, I began to network with a group of comic book writers and artists who lived in Los Angeles and who would get together and meet uh, once a month. And through that connection, I found out about a Fantastic Four animation series that was being done by a studio called De Patty Freeling. And so I cold called, walked in, got an interview, and got hired to write an animation script. Well, that yeah.
2: almost never happens, right?
3: <laughs> Which, I mean, nowadays, you really, that kind of thing would not happen. But back then, the whole idea of people even writing scripts for animation was actually quite new. It was oh. a fairly new development. And it was the Wild West in many ways. <laughs> um, in fact, a number of my experiences could be categorized that way, including getting into video games, uh, where I I guess I've had a somewhat charmed career in that I've lucked into all of these things at the right times. I was had incredible luck that Roy Thomas moved to L.A. and that he bought a story that I showed him. And then he continued to buy more stories from me, and I had the incredible luck to just walk in and be able to write an animation script, which nowadays would never happen.
2: Well, yeah, you wrote a lot of animation, especially in the 80s and 90s, right, with uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends,
3: G.I. Joe...
1: Re- reboot, which, reboot. I, which I hear is getting a reboot. <laughs> yeah,
3: uh, Gem and the Holograms, which was a uh, major development deal for me, and we did 65 half-hours of that. That's that was in the, in the days of syndication when you could do 65 half-hours of animation. And the Roswell
2: conspiracies, too, Marks, and I had... Really, we watched all those. Things. Yeah, we, we oh, ran,
1: yeah.
3: A, ran across that DVD at, at Walmart, and we're like, "What is this?" Wow. We binge watched that
2: thing, man. <laughs>
3: right, yeah, yeah. I wrote for that with my um, partner and husband, Randy Littlejohn. We, when uh, Randy and I got together, while we were working on a Babylon Five space combat game.
2: Oh, we love Babylon Five too.
3: He and I, he and I met on that project, and then became writing partners, and have written many, many animation scripts and some game stuff together as well. And so, uh, let's see, there was Jim, there was Bucky O'Hare, there was Conan the Adventurer in in animation, live action stuff was uh, Captain Power, um, Hypernauts, uh, Babylon 5, of course, I did a Grail episode of Babylon 5, and and Twilight Zone. Oh, cool. So like all the (laughs) stuff we geek out over, mostly. Yeah. And me too, I mean, it's the stuff I geek out over (laughs) as well. I also had my own creator-owned series published called *The Sisterhood of Steel* in comics, mm-hmm. and some other comics work that I did. I also wrote a graphic novel for Wendy Peeney for *ElfQuest* in the *ElfQuest* series called *Wolf Rider*. Sometimes it's hard to remember everything <laughs> I've done.
1: That's not even really touching your video game. It's no, too much.
3: Uh-uh. Right, and then I got into designing adventure games for Sierra Online. And that, that, was a, that was great fun. I really enjoyed that and, and continued to do work on and off in uh, the video game field for console games and MMOs and, and PC games. And then finally, uh, I started working for Zynga four and a half years ago, learning Facebook games and now mobile games. Oh, neat. Yeah. And
2: it- you lost me. I never could catch on to video games of any kind. I have, a, I have apparently what is known as a, a video game learning disability. <laughs> it's it, it it's a very rare thing um but uh, it trust me it's real
1: wait until virtual reality you'll be able to figure that out. You just i gotta can move do your things hands
2: that right. are, are real like we like if i'm physically moving my whole body i can do it but i can't <laughs> do like i can't no you lost me on that i i don't think it, i have to say and I'm i don't, smart don't enough.
1: play video games very much anymore i used to all the time sierra uh the games from sierra were really mm. great and now like with was and such a lot of the mobile device games, I do play those occasionally. I
2: got my ass handed to me in Pong. So that just is,
1: <laughs> she's not, that she's, was
2: recently. She
1: is not a gamer.
2: <laughs>
1: yes. Well, so you're
2: hats off to you, Christy, for being able to do all
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. well, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, was, I was fortunate in that um, when I started writing on the G.I. Joe series, the story editor was Steve Gerber, wonderful man, dear friend of mine. And he made everyone write on computers. He made it a requirement if you were going to write for that show that you had to write on computer, which was early, early, early in the days of writing on computers. And, uh, you know, early operating systems, early software, learning to use a modem (laughs) to send. So you got eased into it. So that was good, right? So, yeah, so I I had a head start thanks (laughs) to him.
1: And I really think GI G. Joe's had other cartoons since then, but I think the '80s GI Joe cartoon still the best.
3: That that was that
2: was its height of perfection. I think. I, so. I
3: have to agree. <laughs> I,
2: I was I was obsessed with it. I, mm-hmm, I wanted mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted like an eagle following me around all the
3: time. <laughs> um. And
2: I loved Lady J. She was like my hit. oh yeah.
3: I like Scarlet. Scarlet was a favorite of mine.
2: Yeah, I like Scarlet, but I I was really into because she was Lady J is a brunette and had like short hair It was like all <laughs> tough, you know. And I was a tomboy with dark hair, so it was like great. It was nice <laughs> to have. It was it was nice because you know everyone when you're a girl, you know what it's like growing up. Everyone's like pushing Barbie, and to me, Barbie was. Only really great as a target for G.I. Joe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so
2: I, I regularly had Lady J taking out like a rampaging giant Barbie who's like taking out a town, you know?
3: <laughs> I
2: love it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you're my hero. <laughs>
3: I, I know when I was offered the, uh, the chance to do this develop, the development on GEM, it was so unlike anything else I had done before that. Everything being action, superhero, action-adventure, and G.I. Joe. I, I remember they were saying, oh, this is about girl rock groups. And I remember walking out of there thinking, I don't know if I can write this. I don't I write girls. It just felt uh, so different.
1: Well, you know, and you were the head writer for Jim and the Holograms. As many of our audience have already heard, I'm sure, there is a live-action movie in the works mm-hmm. adapting those characters.
3: Oh, it's done. It'll be out in October. Okay.
1: Oh. A little disappointed when I learned yeah, you we were more involved, unfortunately. But, uh, uh, you know, you know what you've seen of the project in the news, in a what-if scenario, if you were able to do a live-action movie, you know, what, what would you have liked to have done with it?
3: I was trying to get Hasbro to let me do a live-action movie. Um, We just couldn't get them to open the door to us for some reason. I had worked out a a treatment, uh, which is not a script. People think I have a script. I didn't. But I was working with uh, an independent producer. We were looking at ways to do a a low-budget feature since that was what Hasbro was interested in. But we could never get them to kind of open the door for us for some reason. But basically what I was looking at was trying to stay pretty true to all of the original concepts of the show, but update the technology and bring it up, bring it a little more current, um, make it fit in, into the present time a bit more. So I, I didn't want to do any deep departure, but I did want to bring it up into the present. And and I had also planned to deal with um, how the music scene has changed and how it's now tied to the, the internet and the... Mm-hmm digital and, and all of that I thought would have been a great thing to, to put into it.
2: Yeah because as great as these things are from you know we re- remember so fondly from our childhood it, it you know you go back and look there is a certain look there's a little bit of a dated kind of thing to anything 80s yeah you would kind of have to bring it a little up to date. Well yeah absolutely
3: yeah. of course. Uh,
1: especially, especially 80s rockers. <laughs> unless
2: you did like retro. <laughs> yeah. Unless you did a totally retro thing which could work.
3: That's a possibility too. Yeah. What's interesting to me though is I, I have heard from quite a number of people who have been introducing Gem to their kids and their kids love it. I got a passionate email from a 13 year old girl who just wow. loves Jem and, and was was upset about the movie because she didn't feel it was really Jem, which is kind of cute coming from a 13-year-old who's just discovering this 1980s series. I, I like <laughs> that. I love that. But, but, you know, kids are still relating to this show, and I think it's because the stories are universal, the underpinnings, the... It's driven by the characters and and the characters' needs and wants. And and that's something that continues to communicate regardless of the fashion or regardless of the music or the technology or what have you.
2: And that has been happening with a lot of, you know, you can tell something truly is a good quality because there are a lot of people that are introducing their kids and even grandkids to things. And they like it as much as their parents and their grandparents did when they were that age. So that is a a good sign that you you tapped into something kind of universal, you know.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. I, in fact, and one guy even sent me a little little piece of video of his six year old girl who just loving Jim, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was adorable. adorable. It was. It was
1: <laughs> well, you have two books on how to write for animation and video games and such. I was just wonder if you give like a like one tip for anyone who's trying to get in that field, uh, either get in the field or or how to uh, to approach that field.
3: Well, which field we're we talking about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's do animation since we're talking about animation.
3: You have to be a strong visual storyteller. You, you obviously have to develop the skills to tell a story concisely and tell it in the most visual way that you can. Mm-hmm. The, the old piece of advice says, show, don't tell. And that's much more true. For animation, because remember, in animation you don't have a live actor delivering lines, so your lines have to be a lot shorter, a lot tighter. You, you don't, you can't get the subtle emotion out of an actor's face when you're in dealing with animation, and so these are all things that you have to take into account so that you you always have some activity, some action, something that's conveying either mood or action on the screen. One thing you really can't have is uh, dead air or long speeches. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they can't do, like, dramatic pauses and give a look as easily.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you can, obviously. I mean, and look at anime. A lot of that stuff, they do beautifully. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you can, but nonetheless, you have to be thinking visually as you do it.
1: You know, it was great to see you get back in comics because after you were on the show last time, you had been signed on for Sword of Sorcery, but it hadn't come out yet. At least I don't believe it had. And then you would later on get signed on Birds of Prey. So it was great seeing you. Get back in comic books. You know, how, how did you get involved in those DC projects?
3: I got involved through Dan DeDio. So, going back to the 90s, I did a live action Saturday morning half hour series called Hypernauts. Mm-hmm. And I did the development and story editing and writing on some writing on that. And that was done for ABC for a Saturday morning show. And Dan Didio was at the time a development executive at ABC on, on that show, and so he and I worked very closely and in, in strong collaboration on developing that series and working on that series, and consequently got to be very good friends. So when he went to DC, I was thrilled for him because that I, let me tell you, if there was ever a dream job for any person, that was Dan's dream job, and you know he just couldn't couldn't be happier. Um, and then one day at Zynga, I just got a call out of the blue. I, I, I kind of stayed in touch with him, but nothing too specific. But he called out of the blue and said, hey, would you like to reboot Amethyst for us? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's great. You know, and that was part at this point, the new 52 had happened, the whole universe reboot. Uh, you know, how much freedom were you given in, in that reimagining of that character, and that title?
3: Um pretty much complete freedom to come up with what I wanted to do with it. Oh great. Yeah.
1: Is there anything that you wish you could have continued on with that story? Is there something that you had hadn't was unable to wrap up?
3: Oh yeah, there was a ton of stuff that I wanted to do with that world. I, I had mapped out so many different things to do with and there were so many other houses, you know, the the gem houses that I didn't even get to, you know, the House of Emerald and some of these others, House of Ruby and I had it all had all kinds of stuff mapped out that I really wanted to do it was um, was unfortunate I was I was sorry that we didn't get to continue that Mm
1: -hmm. do you think that's because fantasy con books have a little bit of a harder time than superhero
3: I think there were probably a couple of reasons Mm
1: -hmm.
3: I think it was extremely unfortunate that they that they made it a um, anthology book that they combined it they combined it with other series that didn't match up that didn't fit and they put it under this incredibly generic title. I mean, who, who's going to look for Amethyst under Sword of Sorcery? I mean, it's, and it's such a, such a generic title. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think had it been published under its own title so that it was easy to find and, and, you know, girls and women could find it, what they were looking for, <laughs> I think that would have helped. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't think it should have been matched up with, with um, the backups.
1: Things you got, like beowulf i think and some other things i
3: mean I mean, they, they just they were so contradictory to the tone and feel of amethyst
1: mm-hmm. so in your bird's prey run i haven't finished that run completely yet but so far reading the run you had a character betray the group uh there's you had to work with some newer characters like condor and a former uh talon uh and you have you know you have a black canary with a very different origin story from the black canary from the past, you know, with this whole new 52 universe. So how much freedom did you have in that story? Both because of the reboot and because, you know, you're starting at issue 18. Did you have control of the story and also um, the whole betrayal and fallout that happened? Was that always planned in the series or did you kind of put your own spin on that?
3: Yeah, that was a different situation because I was coming into an established book and I was having to pick up the threads Mm -hmm. that were already there Mm -hmm and they already knew, they'd already decided they wanted to have this betrayal happen. So basically, I had to come in very quickly. I didn't have a lot of time at all. And I was still trying to finish up the last couple issues of Amethyst, plus take this on, plus, you know, my full-time job at Zynga. So it Mm -hmm. was extremely difficult and stressful and had to be done far more quickly than I would have liked. So I had to just pick up the reins quite quickly and Get a sense of, of all the different story threads that have been laid in that I had to work with, plus the things that they wanted me to do already, and just weave that all in there. Um, I came up with the new backstory. Not, there there's, was already some backstory laid in for Black Canary, which I very much wanted to address and deal with, and I did, and bringing back the husband and dealing with all of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I came up with a different background for her. I, I wanted to go in a different direction to give her a deeper background and how, how she came to be such a fabulous martial artist and, and touch upon some of the, that childhood stuff as well. So I did get a chance to do that a bit later on. And um, I saw a lot of potential to have fun with Condor and to have fun with Strix. They, there were a lot of things there to play with and work with. It was a bit more constrained um, because of things that had already been established. But but other than that, there was a lot of stuff to play with that was fun.
1: Well, who's your favorite character out Birds of Prey to write for then? Was it Black Canary
3: or someone else? Um, did I have a favorite? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. They were all fun to write for. I, <laughs> I, I guess Black Canary and Condor, I, I kind of, I, I would have had fun, I think, doing a spinoff with the two of them and exploring. Exploring that situation a bit more. How
1: much do they tell you about like Condor's background? Because I, I think it, it was still a little bit mysterious, right, at the time.
3: Uh, yeah, Dwayne had written some, had written up a biography for the character, mm-hmm. and I took that and I um, changed it a little bit. I gave a little bit of a different spin and, and went in a slightly different direction with it. But essentially, a lot of it was there.
1: Uh, you have any future comic book writing plans in the works that you can that you can talk about?
3: Uh, nothing definite at the moment. I I, um, I had to back off of the monthly series for a while, uh, because the the stress of maintaining that schedule was pretty tough. But I did do uh, a couple of origin short origin bits for the Secret Origin stories. I mm-hmm. uh, I did one for Black Canary, in fact, and I did a Poison Ivy story, which I had a lot of fun with. Really enjoyed that. And then I, I did the two Green Arrow books for the Convergence event and really had a wonderful time doing that that was a lot of fun because i got to use a a, an older version of oliver queen green arrow from the 90s and then his son and then i got to bring in this other version of black canary and her daughter the new black canary from the kingdom come books and then combine them together into this conversion story and Enjoyed that a lot. I had a good time doing that. So I'm I'm hoping to do some more things like that for DC, and I I um haven't pursued it just yet. They they were in the middle of moving from New York to Burbank, so I figured they probably need some time to get reestablished.
1: Now there's been a lot of talk about comic books uh, and any kind of really sci-fi fantasy type type of media about needing more female creators and also better kind of representation of the female heroes. What's your opinion on, on that type of topic?
3: I, it's just amazing to me. I, I love it. I think it is wonderful. When I grew up reading comic books, it was not something that girls did. It was not an acceptable pastime for a girl to read and collect comics. And I was very much alone in my interest. <laughs> so this is such an incredible change to to see so many girls and women interested in comics and to see all of this being addressed and and all of the issues around female characters being addressed, I I just think it's excellent. It it just feels like we're entering a new golden age. Not that there isn't still a lot of work to be done, but it's an amazing change from when I started reading comic books where it was harder than hell to even find any kind of a good female character to care about. I I had to... uh, resort to characters like Saturn Girl in The Legion because she was written as a she was written as a strong, independent, intelligent character, which was wonderful and refreshing. And I was a big fan of Lois Lane when I was a kid, but the Lois Lane I grew up with, depending on who was writing her was either just this ridiculous jealous twit, you know or a very clever, intrepid reporter, but she would it was like schizophrenia. She'd be all over the place. you just never knew what to expect next. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and then Jean Grey came along, you know, and I, uh, the X Men, and, and she became my next big favorite that I latched onto, and and so I was always latching onto those characters because there weren't many of them, mm-hmm. especially good ones, and and now I believe that we have uh, we are entering a richness of this, and uh, I just would like to see it continue.
1: Mm-hmm. I hope so too. Now I really enjoyed your nonfiction book, writing for animation, comics, and games. Um, I think that came out about around 2006. Read it, I read it soon after. It was a really good read. I didn't realize at first, until recently, that you actually wrote a second book, <laughs> called, uh, or, or at least you wrote, co-wrote, edited the book called Write Your Way into Animation and Games. So can, can you tell our audience a little bit about both of those books and what the difference is between those two books?
3: Yeah, the the primary difference is that the the first book, which was writing for animation comics and games, I, I put those three together because there was there's so many similarities between writing for those three forms of media and, and they're all very much visual storytelling forms of media. And so it made a lot of sense. I and I writers tend to cross over back and forth between those, so it made sense to put them together. So I, I put that book together and sold it, proposed it, uh to um, Focal Press, who ended up buying it and publishing it, and then Focal Press came back to me a bit later and said, "Um, we want to do another book focusing mainly just on animation and video games, and would you mind editing that together? So that, that pulled from my first book, and it pulled from books by about five, I think, five other Focal Press writers who had written either about animation or about video game writing. So my task was I Pulled chapters from my book, and then I pulled chapters from their books, and then tried to put it together into a nice cohesive whole about animation writing and about video game writing.
1: Oh, okay, uh, how do you get in game design for someone? I mean, it's it seems like maybe it's just me because I don't I'm not as involved in game game design, but it seems really um, not an obvious path of trying to pitch yourself as a writer for for gaming.
3: Well, you're talking about two different things. You're talking about game design,
1: mm-hmm.
3: which is a field unto itself, and then there's writing for games, and then there's also what I primarily consider myself to be, which has come to be known as narrative design. Narrative design is, is basically a writer who understands game design mm-hmm. and, know, and understands the process of trying to mash story with game design there are a lot of different ways to become a game designer and there are lots of different segments of being a game designer actually it's be, it's become almost a field with filled with specialties but there are there are tons of schools and courses out there now that teach game design and you have places like DigiPen and places like Full Sail University and, and just, you know, schools all over the place now, just about every place seems to have game design courses these days. There are a few places that are also starting to get into teaching game writing and narrative design. It's not quite as prominent, but it's growing. There's certainly more of it happening. So it would be a matter of researching different universities and uh, different types of schools to see what could be found in that area. Uh, It's difficult, it's very difficult to work just as a game writer narrative designer that it's still a field where it is hard to make a lot of headway in in doing story because so much precedence is given to the gameplay and gameplay mechanisms over story Mm -hmm. and it's something that i've been fighting to change for a long time but it's still an uphill battle except Mm -hmm. with a few exceptions here and there like telltale games for example wonderful game company that that focuses primarily on telling story You know, it's wonderful. They do the Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, and you know, all kinds of wonderful things out there. But that that's kind of rare and far in between. The big AAA console titles they tend to have story. The Lara Crofts and some of those, you know, big kind of games, they'll indulge in doing story. But you're going to have to have some credits and and pretty much be well established to get that kind of a game writing job. So it's really a matter of whether you're trying to come at it as a writer or are you trying to come at it as a game designer? Because they they're actually two different things.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. And um you wrote a nonfiction book a few years back called the Wachowski Brothers. And uh, you know, if anyone doesn't know, the creators <laughs> of Matrix, yes. <laughs> and and no longer brothers technically either. But uh Yeah.
3: Uh, <laughs> they were then <laughs>
1: And you, of course, I think we mentioned earlier, you worked with J. Michael servinsky on both Babylon 5 and and also Captain Power and the Soldiers of Future of the Future. And Twilight Zone. Uh, oh, yes, and Twilight Zone. That's right. He was in the new Twilight Zone. So, you know, I'm curious if you've seen Since 8, you know, the series that they, they both created and worked together on.
3: Yeah, so far, we've seen the first episode. We haven't caught up with the other episodes yet. Um, we, we have... An overwhelming number of things that we want to watch these days, and not a lot of time to watch them. So we've been jumping around between a lot of different things. You know, the Daredevil series on Netflix, and then of course everything that's on all the other channels. I mean, there's just there's so much out there now. It's it's wonderful. It's almost hard to choose. Uh, so, yeah, there is. Yeah, the so we did see the first episode, but we haven't caught up yet on the rest of them.
1: Mm-hmm. And it is like you touched on, it's like a golden age of TV right now. At least that's what some people are saying, because there's so much to choose from anymore. So and uh Daredevil's a really great show.
3: Um, that's so, many, so many, different ways to go. I know. It's wonderful. Same same with same with comics. You can publish your own your webcomic now, and then maybe if you're lucky, you get discovered from your webcomic. And there's just all kinds of potential now.
1: I know it's great. Um, okay, so bef- before we go, is there any other tip you would like to
3: share for anyone who wants to go into writing? Have a thick skin. seriously um you have to be hard-headed and thick-skinned to survive as a writer because it takes so much work and so much persistence and and you can be discouraged in so many different ways but anyone who allows themselves to be discouraged is not a real writer i mean a real writer is someone who who keeps at it who doesn't give up
1: when you write an issue of a of a comic book, how long did that take you, roughly? And you know, How many days it might take to plot out and finish?
3: Oh, let's see. It tends to be spread out, so I'm trying to think if I were to actually clump it all together, I'd say I could probably do it in a couple of days.
1: I was curious about that. So yeah, uh,
3: A standard size issue. That's, you know, under time crunch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and also, before we go, can you tell everyone where to find you and your work online?
3: I do have a website at christymarks.com, and um, it needs updating. <laughs> Sorry about that, but
1: uh, you're too busy right writing. I have, so
3: I have uh, all my credits listed there. I have a cat blog that I keep that's also on Facebook called Moggy Blog, <laughs> and um, I, I'm, I'm on Facebook once in a while, not a lot, and I'm on Twitter once in a while, not a lot. <laughs> Pretty much just under. Under Christy Marks. Uh, Facebook, because of a weird thing that happened, is actually called Christy Marks Second. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's got like a Roman numeral two after it. Uh, That's and interesting. Twitter, yeah. And Twitter, I just got my, was able to get my own name. I didn't get to Facebook fast enough. So. <laughs> I see.
1: Thanks so much for being on the show. Hopefully it won't be three years. Until next time, two and a half years.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I have some new stuff to talk about soon. Great. Oh, I am doing one other thing that I forgot to mention. <laughs> I'm, I am working on a Gem memoir. Ah. So I'm working on writing my memoir about the development of Gem. So I'm in the process of working on that in my spare time.
1: That's great. And it's perfect timing with the movie and such, too.
3: So. I'm hoping, yeah. I'm going to put it out as an ebook since there's not really time to get a print publisher. That takes so long. Mm-hmm. So I am hoping to have it out around the same time as the movie, but we'll see. <laughs>
1: Hi, I'm Paul Chitlick, writer from the New Twilight Zone, and the author of Rewrite How to Strengthen Structure, Characters, and Drama in Your Screenplay. And this
3: is Genretainment.
0: Big thanks to Christy Marks for taking the time to return to the show and chat with us. And we will have the links that we mentioned on the episode in the show notes section.
1: Now coming up on our next episode, we'll have an interview with Christopher Kentworthy, the author of the best-selling MasterShot series of books. We'll talk to him about writing and filmmaking and learn more about his MasterShot series and his newest book, Shoot Like Tarantino.
0: And after that, we'll be chatting with author Monica Lionel about her fiction and her excellent nonfiction book, Write Better Faster, How to Triple Your Writing Speed and Write More Every Day. We'll also talk about her upcoming books, The 8-Minute Writing Habit, Dictate Your Book and more. Now, before we go, we want to remind you that you can keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher, or by following our Genretainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our website at Genretainment.com, or follow all of the shows at SciFiPulseRadio.com. And also check out our new network, League of Geeks, over at Blog Talk Radio.
1: So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films. TV shows, novels, and web
0: series. Genre Tamen is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until Until next time. Bad monkey.